2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's
0: after 3 o'clock on Sports 1440 Live and Orders Nation. YouTube as well uh, for those uh, watching on uh, Facebook. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, listening, uh, streaming, wherever you are. We love it. The Gregor Show as always is presented by playalberta.ca a, where you can get in the game, have uh, all sorts of fun, and hey, maybe, you know what, you look around, you're like, jeez, I need a little luck. Well, maybe you could get lucky tonight at playalberta.ca, $18 million up for grabs in the Lotto Max, so uh, check it out at playalberta.ca. Coming up uh, this hour, uh, Mike Kelly, brace yourself, Sorter fans. Brace yourselves for this. Um, Paul Sir will be by Jason Strudwick, uh, spec later on DVDs. So we got lots, uh, to get to, but, uh, first we're going to get to the oil report brought to you by Volvo Cars Edmonton, where, uh, right now until the end of the month, you want to get a sick deal. How about $7,500 off right now on uh, any 2023, uh, S60, XC, uh, XC90, you name it. They got it from the twelve-time uh, excellence award winner, volvocarsedmonton. dot com. Mike Kelly from uh, NHL Network and uh, Sports Logic uh, joins us. And uh, Mike, there uh, when you crunch the numbers and you look them all at Sports Logic, uh, there are very few that are flattering for the uh, for the Edmonton Orders. Um, uh, they are what, what's interesting is if you look at the NHL's uh, Edge site and you go by forwards. Most of their forwards, the amount of shots they're taking this year, way fewer of them are actually high danger compared to the rate they were at last year. Does that match with what you're seeing?
1: Well, they're still getting a fair amount of what we would call high danger shots. I mean, the team is top 10 in high danger shots the way that we uh, calculate it, and, and, um, which is a little different than that. But even if you just look at location-based stuff like like you're talking about, um, they're still top 10. So um, it's, you know, they're, they're, they should be scoring more than they are based on the, the offense that they're producing. That's, yeah, that's, that's fair. going to happen, right? It, it's You get into 10, 12 game samples at the start of the year, squirrely things happen to a degree. They're going to start scoring more, um, but that's not going to alleviate all of their issues. And it's not to say that they don't have some issues offensively either. Um, But that's part of what kind of I think this concoction of everything going wrong at the same time has been for them
0: oh well that that's the thing it is uh, there's not one element of their game that you can look and say hey I think you know what uh, this will get us through tonight Yeah, uh, they, they have nothing uh, that they can rely on like last night uh, they get a lot of shots early they can't score now they had very little yeah. traffic I would argue that they still don't have enough traffic in front of opposing, opposing goaltenders but then they give up two goals on four shots and, and like the first goal is unlucky it's an own goal but the second goal it's a three on three and they decide inexplicably to say well let's just not cover the guy in the most danger area in the middle of the slot and then the goalie has the puck go right through him like there was no more accurate depiction of the order season than that second goal by the Canucks
1: I, I think you make an excellent point and that goal like for me if if I was a coach and I'm not but one of the things that would drive me nuts is getting scored on on a controlled breakout yep because you have no excuse defensively you're set up in whatever defensive um, way you want to be set up there's no line change happening. There's no you know guy falling over somewhere. Like, everyone's set up to defend. Yep. And you should never get beat off the rush in that spot. So you got Holloway in front of the net, and you got Dreisaitl, who is on his left side, but the, the right-wing side for the Canucks. He's taken away the D-to-D pass, or, or at least not allowing the breakout there. That's fine. So Holloway's got really one job, which is try to disrupt the swing guy on the other side of the breakout. He doesn't do that. So puck goes to Suter. He's got a world of room in front of him to do whatever he wants now. And still, like you said, it's a three-on-three situation. So he goes up the ice, snaps it across to the right-wing side, um, and the Canucks right-winger takes the puck into the zone. Now you've got your left D and your forward that's back, both going to that guy. And Dreisaitl's kind of coasting back through the neutral zone. Holloway actually skated kind of hard back, but he's already out of the play. It's not his... his not up to him to cover anyone at that point. And suitor's left wide open um to, to receive a pass. You got four guys watching the puck carrier, two guys going at him, and the puck comes to suitor And like the crazy thing to me is not only can he just walk in and, and shoot and you'd like a save there. Of course you'd like to save there. But it's still a decent look. Is that Connor Garland on the left side was wide open for a one timer. Like they had two grade A options off of a controlled breakout. That can't happen.
0: Like, that should never happen. No oh, 100%. And so, and then you go back to the fourth goal. It's an offensive zone faceoff. Drysaddle wins the faceoff. Now, kind of odd because it just goes to no man's land. Full go gets in a race, tries to dump it in, It hits a Vancouver player, fine. It's, it's just inside. They're just at the blue line. And Evan Bouchard, in a 3-2 game, midway through the game, decides to just put himself in no man's land, Easy chip off the boards. It's two on one, and then he doesn't get back hard enough, and and the guy that's his scores the rebound goal, right? Like if Bouchard just retreats, it's a two on two, maybe a three on two, maybe probably Mm -hmm. just a two on two, right? Like, and then Mike, like there's there's zero accountability from the coach. So to me, I look at the players, and they're all to blame for lots of their decisions because a lot of them are split second decisions that they're NHL players they should make. But when your coach keeps allowing the mistakes and the lack of effort to just be be given with no recourse. That's a problem. Like, I'm not saying that you bench Bouchard forever, but I could have benched him for the rest of that period. It's only three shifts at the end of the day, right? Maybe four in the final nine minutes for him. Maybe. Like, are you telling me that your team can't survive him on the bench for four shifts?
1: Yeah. And look, you you can't, you you understand that you can't sit guys for games. Like, they they don't have enough guys, right? (laughs) With the cap situation they're in. But um, I'm with you. I'm fully with you. Like, that's where the accountability should be, I think, because. The pinch is one thing, and you'd hope that I think it was the game before, but you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Like Cody Ceci pinched on the right yep. side, right? I think it was the first goal of the yeah, game, Dallas. The second, but yeah, Dallas uh, led to Duchesne's goal. Um, you'd think those are teachable moments. You're like, hey, if it's fifty fifty, like we're 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 having enough time keeping the puck out overnight here. Let's let's try to pick our spots a little better. So the pinch wasn't great, but yeah. Then again, the coasting back, and you end up being a split second behind the guy who scores on the rebound. Um, that would drive me nuts. So that's where I would, you'd like to probably think, okay, you're going to sit and miss a few shifts. We can afford to do that. And if you can't afford to do that, well, how do you hold anybody accountable? How do you correct any of this? Because the, the coaches talked about individual mistakes being costly. A lot of people have focused on the defensive zone, D-zone coverage. Like, I, I, Frankly, I think that's been blown a little out of proportion. Um, this is a team that's given up 17 goals off the rush, by far more than anyone in the league, the chances aren't so bad. It's still not great, but they're getting just that. Has nothing to do with whether you're playing man on man or zone. Yeah. Mean, that's 17 goals. Boston's barely given that up all year. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not going to hold guys accountable uh, either, then I don't know how you're how you're expecting things to get better because like this team is playing um, like they've lost all their confidence, but. Given the spot they're in, to have guys not hustling the like to, to not to not be executing in the checking elements of the game, that to me is really troubling.
0: Yeah, wholeheartedly. So, you look at at their numbers overall, and we talk about the uh, the rush chances, and and, and to me. It's not just a rush chance because we saw it in that second goal. It's they're giving chances off the rush, Mike, but they're giving up high danger chances off of two on two rushes. Like obviously the odd man rushes we saw against Dallas. They got murdered on that one. They resulted in three goals off of odd man rushes for sure. Not great, but even on even man rushes, they're like, they're new. So I know they tried the, you know, the one, one, three and that's where Fogel was back. He's just outside of his blue line but then they decide him and Kulak to both go to a fourth line winger on the boards and vacate the middle. So I I don't, like I don't, when guys play one, uh, one, one, three, um, I haven't seen where you're like, okay, we're going to have the third guy attack to the, to the boards where the defenseman already is.
1: Yeah. Like on that one, again, like I think it, it all started to break down with how easily Holloway allowed that, that exit to occur. Um, but, you know, as you said, it's still a three-on-three three effectively when Suter gets yes. the neutral zone. And, and, yeah, two guys went to one guy, and it all and it all caved in from there, um, for sure. And and so just rush chances, whether it's even man, odd man, whatever. Like, they're giving up seven a game. It's 23rd in the league. It's not great. Shouldn't kill you. Um, they're not getting the saves either. And like, we can talk about goaltending as much as you want here, because that's where I think the biggest problem is. And I think, like, part of the issue is if I say that, then – People's reaction is almost like, well, you're you're letting the team off the hook or whether Like, two things can be true at once. They have not been great defensively. They've made individual mistakes that have led to really high danger looks. Um, but the goaltending thing, like this, predates Skinner and and Campbell to me. Like I, I did a segment two years ago, almost it was February of twenty two, talking about. Edmonton not getting adequate goaltending and that being a real problem for them and that was you know you look at last year's team and the year before like their their playoffs you know projected to do very well certainly a lot better than they are right now um, the goaltending is it's it, again it's not to absolve everyone else and just say well they need saves because um, there's a lot wrong elsewhere but like if they were even getting average goaltending, this wouldn't be nearly as bad.
0: True, like Mike Smith, though in twenty one, had a nine twenty three save percentage. He had a nine fifteen in in twenty 2020, twenty in twenty twenty two. Like that's for your starter. Those that's numbers fine, right? Um, he would, yeah. he would give away he a was few bucks good in front of them too. Yeah, um, to me it's the like last season. Skinner decent as a rookie, nine thirteen. Obviously gets a rookie of the war. Jack Campbell struggled mightily. Uh, the defense in front isn't helping him. But this year, um, like the amount of because I know you guys track high-danger chances, mid-chances, and all that sort of thing. Like, I know their save percentage isn't great on high-danger. And the pre suitor shot, I know it gets classified as a high-danger chance, Mike, but that's a very savable shot. I get that it's high-danger, but it went right through him, And it's not Elias Pettersson shooting. It's freaking suitor.
1: It is. And that's, again, where you'd like to save. And, like, you know the market there better than me, and you listen to the – and interact with the players and all that, right? Um, I, I found it interesting listening to Connor McDavid. He said twice after the game, um, you know, talking about the good start that they had, and they had a good start, obviously. Um, but then you get behind and you're chasing the game. Then you get behind and you're chasing the game. And it just it made me think like what he's basically saying is we didn't get saves and now we're losing. Like that, that's how I interpreted it, and he, he didn't, didn't say it, but that was kind of the vibe I was getting. Or maybe I'm just thinking that way because that's what I think. But um, the, the fact that that's a fact. The shots were 19-4, to 4 and they were losing. And yeah, the first one is a total fluke. Like, that's not on the goalie. Yeah. The second one, again, it's it's not an easy save. But it's the NHL, and some teams get big saves from their goalies yes. consistently. And you need to be able to do it. Like, the thing that I go back to when I talk about goaltending, uh, and this is what it was uh, – talking about what I did a couple of years ago, and, how it, and still believe If you look at it. be able to rate as best you can isolated goaltending performance from team defense. Some goalies put up great numbers because the team in front of them is really great, and they're good. And that's fine. Other goalies have bad numbers, but they're really good, and they play on bad teams. So how do you figure all this out? So I look at Goals saved above expected. This factors in the quality as well as how many shots you face. And this is the troubling thing to me for Edmonton. So since the start of last season, how many times and how many games have they had, what what, what I would say, average or better goals by using that, average or better? They've played 93 games since the start of last season. They've had expected or better goaltending in 35 of them. That's 38%. There's two teams that have had less, Calgary and Tennessee. When Edmonton gets average or better goaltending in those 35 games, they won 83% of those games. That's the third best win rate of any team in the league. It's pretty clear that when Edmonton gets average or better goaltending, they win a lot. That's because they're good and they score a lot in general, Right. They're not getting close to average goaltending, and they're not getting it nearly often enough. So I, I'm a firm believer, like when I kind of zoom out of this thing, that if Edmonton had an average goaltending situation, they would be a really good team. Um, and it, you'd like to think that you can find average goaltending somewhere, whether it's the guys you have being better or, you know, maybe one shoe dropped with Campbell being put on waivers and there's something else coming.
0: Mike Kelly joins us from Sport Log. So, Mike, you, so ninety three games the last two years. You you said um, thirty eight of them they had average or above average goaltending. Is that right?
1: Thirty five of them, thirty eight percent. So yeah.
0: thirty five times they had average or above average goaltending.
1: That's it. Well, so that means if you want to, yeah, if you yeah. want to say averages, you you hit zero and goals saved above expected yeah. or better.
0: Okay. Yeah. Wow, that is. Uh, that is mind blowing to me. Um, Thirty five out of ninety three. So I'm doing the uh, the math. I'm that's twenty three. That's fifty eight games where they had below average
1: goaltending. Below, yeah, below expected uh, yeah. in terms of that that uh, equation. Yeah,
0: goals saved. So in goals saved above expected or better, correct? Thirty five times. Yeah, Oof, that is. Uh... So it leads me to the question: When you look at other goaltenders. Yep. is it time for Edmonton to look at a goaltending coaching change?
1: Yeah, you know what? I don't. I don't know enough about the situation there internally to to say. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's a goalie coaching thing. I don't know if it's the goalies themselves. Um, you know, Campbell has shown from going back to his time in LA uh, right through to to today. He can go on runs where he is very good. Like he was an all-star in Toronto because of a first half of the season that he had that was exceptional and then completely fell off in the second half. Um, So he can be good for stretches. That's about what we know of him in his career, uh, but can't piece it together for full seasons or anything more than that. And Skinner, like to your point, I, I think I agree with you with Skinner last year. I think he was good. I don't think he was great yeah uh, he wasn't bad, we know that, um, but he was fine. That's all Edmonton really needs. It was kind of my point is have a guy who's fine um and he was that and and that hasn't been the case this season um among you know all the other issues they're fighting with too so um but but, yeah, I don't know enough about the day-to-day the practices and, and all that to really have an opinion on
0: that. Okay, no, that's fair. I just I uh, wonder if if you, if you if, when you guys track all your numbers if there is anything in there that's stylistic that's leading to the orders having uh way more games with below average expected um eh, in saves. So, just uh, just was curious about that, Mike. Um one last one for you when you crunch all your numbers around, is there one team that you think right now is winning with smoke and mirrors and is going to come down to earth? <laughs>
1: Um. Uh, well, a little bit of the team that played Edmonton last night, like it, and, and I don't think smoke and mirrors would be the way to phrase that. But like, they're they're a good team. Um, pro-rated right now, they're on pace to win 62 games. They're not going to do that. So, you know, even a, a Canucks fan would say, yeah, regression will hit to some degree. I think they're a good team. I think they're a playoff team, Vancouver. Um, but they are scoring at a really, really high rate compared to what they're generating. And Demko, who is great um is playing just out of his mind at the same time. So if those things normalize a little bit, you're gonna see a bit of a correction there. Um that would be one um that that kind of sticks out. Uh who I mean the Ducks, they're just winning in crazy ways that's not yeah. really sustainable. But again, I think they're pretty good. Like I they're not the bad ducks team that we've seen in the past. Like they are better. How much better we'll see. Um those would be two that off the top of my head kind of stand out is that are, are you know, they're not bad teams. They're just going to it's going to come back down to earth a little bit for them.
0: My great stat, man, on uh, the orders just get average goaltending and uh, they should be fine. Um, hard to argue with that a, when you look at the results. Uh, we appreciate it, my man. Yeah,
1: no problem. Average when they're playing better. Like if they're playing the way they're playing now, they need uh, they need Thatcher to come and put an Oilers jersey on.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair too. I appreciate it. It's <laughs> uh Mike Kelly joining us from Sport Logic. So yeah, right now they're not playing great. So I like how he added that in. So it's not all in the goaltending, but a lot of it is. There's been games where they played okay and then just getting meh. Like that second goal last night. I'm sorry, it can't go in. It cannot go in. At some point you have to make a save. It's not Elias Petterson shooting, it's Price Suter. Quick break. We'll return on The Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Well, some of you might need a little of calming therapy right now. It is, a, it is a frustrating time to be an Edmonton Order fan. Now, did the Mike Kelly interview make you feel better or worse? Like, just get average goaltending. Hey, Gregor, I have a question. Uh, which goalie really has improved under Schwartz? One comes from Dan. Well, Dan, I guess I would say this. Uh, Was Miko Koskinen an NHL goalie before he came to Edmonton? No. Uh, His first year in Edmonton wasn't great. They did some summer stuff with Schwartz. Became okay backup, right? Mike Smith. Late in his career, had some pretty good years in Edmonton. Order fans would be dying. Remember? And I told all of Order fans for years, everyone's like, Mike Smith's terrible. I'm like, he's 915, he's 923. What the hell do you want? You would be doing cartwheels right now if you had a goalie with a 9. Hell, if you had a goalie with a 900, say, percentage, you you wish you'd have Koskinen right now. But he's 903? That would be stellar compared to what they're getting. So here's the question i like to ask. I don't know enough about the goalie position. It's easy to want to blame the goalie coach. It's fine. But I'll say this. So if you have a third-pairing D-man, and because he doesn't become a second or a first-pairing D-man, is the D coach a bad coach? Yes or no? Simple question, yes or no. There's only so much you can get out of a player. Have these goalies the orders have had been elite, right? Mike Smith had a really good year, 923 save percentage one year, 915 the other year. What's wrong with that? You take that, it's pretty good. Right? If you if you look at them, let, let's just look at the 21-22 uh, the seasons, okay? We'll go for... Uh, For goaltenders, look at combined save percentage. Let's get rid of the, uh, let's get goalies who at least, you know, and I'll even go low because it's over two years. We'll just go 30 games played, right? It's probably even too low. And, uh, you look at Mike Smith. Mike Smith, for those two years, he had the seventh highest save percentage in the NHL at 919. And many of you are like, oh, the goalie coach is terrible. What? Your goalie had the 7th best save percentage for two years. And the goalie coach is terrible. Out of Mike Smith, who, no offense, had never really had years like that before. Stuart Skinner just has the rookie of the year as a goalie. Made the All-Star team at a 9-13 as a rookie. Now, right now, the goaltending's struggling. But why is it always just on, on a goalie coach who, let's be honest, a defense coach... Is Dave Manson a terrible coach because he can't get Evan Bouchard to commit to play defense? I guess if you want to argue that, okay, fine. But how do you do that as a coach? You can't play the game. You think Dave Manson's like, hey, Evan, I'd really like you not to, to be um, intense in the game. Okay, don't do that. I just want you to shoot bush bombs and uh, don't worry about defense. Do you honestly think that's how he's coached? Do you honestly think that's how he's coached? Of course not. A coach can only do so much. The player at the NHL level does the majority of this stuff. Okay? But when I always hear, well, who improved under him? Mike Smith for two years had the seventh highest save percentage among starting goaltenders. For two years. I think that's pretty good. So if you're only going to say, well, no one's ever good. I just showed you the numbers that he was good. So if you're always going to blame the goalie coach, then don't you have to give him credit then? How can it work that way? Right? How does it work that way? So I have no problem if you want to change the goalie coach. But just remember, the same people calling for the goalie coach were the same people who were like, Mike Smith's terrible. And those people now are like, oh, my God, I wish I had Mike Smith. It would be unbelievable to have Mike Smith right now. He could complete a pass. He'd make a big save. He'd win a fight. He could do a lot of things. So, Gregor, didn't Smith have his own goalie coach? No. He worked with a guy to improve his core strength one summer. Not a guy who works on anything technical. Worked on improving his core strength. Why? Because he had the, uh, his belly flops per 60 were too high. So he had a strength in his core. So he stopped doing it. And they worked in conjunction with Schwartz on the technical side of it. And then he had the trainer work on the movement to strengthen the muscles. That's what happens. So. Hey, Gregor, imagine defending Schwartz. You're out to lunch. From Yegbuds. The great part about that, see, I love opinions that have nothing added to the conversation. Nothing factual to back it up. Hey, this is my opinion. Schwartz sucks. Well, you can have your opinion, but it's hollow because your opinion is only valid to the point you can back it up. I just backed it up with actual data and facts. You can hate Dustin Schwartz. It's totally fine. But if your argument is no one improved under him, I just showed you the improvement. Miko Koskinen actually improved under Schwartz because he was never an NHL goalie before he came to Edmonton. Those are just facts. That's not an opinion. Don't confuse opinion with facts. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you the facts. These are Mike Smith's numbers. Fact. It's not a debate. It's a fact. Seventh best save percentage. It's just how it goes. I'm not saying Schwartz is great either. If you want to fire the goalie coach, fire the goalie coach. But do you honestly believe a goalie coach is magically going to snap his fingers and Jack Campbell is suddenly going to be consistent? Watch Stuart Skinner play the puis shooter shot. Do you think a goalie coach is somehow going to change it so the shot beats him right through the uh, the chest? Do you think maybe that's a confidence issue? And how can a coach you can work on all the things you want. You can't play the game. You can't play the game. Right? Like I said, you can fire Dustin Schwartz. I have no problem with it. But when your argument is Devin Dubnik didn't improve under him, he never coached Devin Dubnik. Do you know how ridiculously idiotic you look? when you bring? It just shows you're uninformed when you state Devin Dubnik in the conversation for Dustin Schwartz. Or when people say Cam Talbot. Yeah, go look at Cam Talbot's numbers. Look at his save percentage in Edmonton. Look at his career save percentage. He's played for a lot of different coaches in a lot of different places. He had two good years in Edmonton. Had a tough other year. Look at his save percentage average. Look at his career save percentage. It's the same. Right. We could argue that goalie coaches, hey, there, I think there's some who are elite, but like people are like, Hey, Gregor, what about Vegas's goalie coach? Well, I don't think Vegas's goalie coach has anything to do with the system that's played in front of them. Right. Look at Vegas's goaltenders in the regular season last year. They played all different goalies and it, it didn't really matter who was in goal. Right. Because Vegas has a great system that protects all their goaltenders. Aiden Hill. Suddenly looks like an all-star. System can help. Mike Kelly said the system in Edmonton is not that bad. They just need better goaltending the last 2 years. The previous 2 they had good goaltending. So was it was it the goalie coach who signed Dustin was it the goalie coach who signed Jack Campbell? No, he has to deal with it. I don't know how much input he had. But I understand frustration but at least be factual. If you just want to say I think it's time for a change, I can actually understand that rationale. But the minute you put in incorrect, infactual comments like no one's improved under him. Well, that's actually incorrect. So if you want to say I just think it's time for a change because they've changed lots of coaches, I actually to me that actually makes more sense. I'm like, "You know what? I can rationalize with that." You're like, "Maybe it's just time for a different voice." Right? Different voice. In the coach's room, maybe the goalie coach will have a different opinion on something else. That I can actually understand. I can get behind that. I just don't get behind comments that are incorrect and not backed on fact. That's all. Two very different things. Very different things. So, But what happens if they fire the goalie coach? And then the goalies don't improve. Then what happens? Is it maybe possible that the goalies themselves need to play better is that a possibility that you're willing to entertain just a thought 833-401-1440 it's the Jason Greger show presented by playalberta.ca hey Greger Koskinen was the best international goalie before joining the orders though was he though he played in the league that wasn't very offensive. I'm not sure he was the best international goalie. Because remember, if he was that good, why would he have stayed over there until he was 31? Right. No offense. So, and Kostka became a serviceable backup. Again, Euler fans right now would be doing cartwheels to have Miko Koskinen's numbers as the goalie in Edmonton. Think about that for a second. Right. You look at Miko Koskinen's numbers in Edmonton and say, hmm. How good would it be to have those right now? They weren't Vasilevsky numbers, but as Mike Kelly just said, they just need average. That's all they need. Miko Koskinen in 120 games had a 908 save percentage from 2019 to 2021. Right? 100 games. So let's now look at the NHL... How many goalies played 100 games in that time? Miko Koskinen had the 19th best save percentage in that time. Better than Sergei Wabrowski. Better than Carter Hart. Better than Braden Holpe. Better than Jonathan Quick. Better than Martin Jones. Better than Devin Dubnik. Tied with Pekka Rene, one percentage point below John Gibson. Three, actually not even a percent, yeah, 0.03 below Frederick Anderson. 0.04 0.04 below carry price over a four-year span of at least 100 games played. You should be begging for goaltending like that, begging for it. We'll come back on The Gregor Show. 345, Jason Gregor, Connor Hanley with you on Sports 1440 Live on Oilers Nation uh, YouTube. Uh, lots of text uh, flying. Gregor, stop bringing rational questions. To the conversation. I just want to see a change. I don't care if the numbers suggest that would be foolish. Dan, Dan, you know what? Hey, I appreciate your honesty. I get it. If people want change because you're frustrated, I understand that. But when you suggest statements like, well, no one improved, I just showed you the data that says that's actually false. That's all. You don't have to like it. You don't even have to agree with it. And if you want to counter it, great. But counter it with numbers and data, not just why I don't like the guy. You're entitled to say you don't like the guy and you want to change. But then you can't say that no one's ever improved and they never got good gold hunting. Because for two years, the Oilers had the seventh best save percentage among starters in Mike Smith at an advanced age late in his 30s. But yes, he mishandled the puck wrong a few times. God, that's what I remember. Not the 919 save percentage. (laughs) Imagine if the Oilers had a 919 save percentage right now.
2: and the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
0: Probably eight, two, and one. Just saying. Let's get to the uh, NBA report brought to you by Legacy Heaney and Ann Home of the no payments, no interest for... One year on your AC unit, legacy.ca as a Paul, sir, former pro player and coach joins us. Now, Paul, I want to ask you as a coach. So when you have it, I'm sure you've coached good teams, you've coached bad teams, you coach middle of the road teams. When you coach a good team, I I think you can, you can have higher expectations. You probably have higher expectations. And at what point, when in a season as a coach, is it like, okay, you know what? I might have to crack the whip here on some guys. Like, how do you find that balance? Because if you never do, that's when bad habits can creep in, right? I think it's hard to do it on a bad team. You can do it, but you're like, well, this guy's not good anyway. So I can, I can whip the donkey all day long. It's not going to, it's not going to help, right? So, how did you manage that as a coach to find when's the right time to maybe come down harder on players when you have a good team or a perceived good team?
3: It's a great question. And it is uh, a really difficult, uh, a difficult uh, sort of timing that you really have to go with your instincts on. And you also have to know what motivates players because some players really respond to coming down hard on them. Other players, it's the exact opposite. So the personality of the players, um, really matters. And and the reason I'm smiling is I think of, I, I I never did this with any other player at, at any other moment, but, we had a Serbian player at Concordia named Milos Prijevic, who was an outstanding player from Serbia, had a great Juco career down in the States. And we were playing Augustana in a playoff game, and we were playing terrible, and Augustana was playing great. And Milos was just he, – when he was foggy, he was really foggy. And I said, you know what, Milos? At, at the end of the first quarter, I looked at him and I said, you know what, Milos? Maybe this was just all a mistake. Maybe you would have been better. It might have been easier for you if you – just stayed and played in Serbia. I think I made a mistake, and I walked walked away from him. And he had 25 points and 26 rebounds and absolutely tore it up after that, and we won. Afterwards, he said, Coach, I hated you, but it's exactly what I needed to hear. Other players, that would have just destroyed. So I think you really have to know who your personnel, uh, who's on your team, and what they'll respond to. And then you have to, but one thing you can't do, Jason, is you can't let uh, bad playing go on too long without acknowledging it and without addressing it. Because if you do, then it becomes systemic and harder to unravel.
0: Okay, that's fair. Um, I want to get your thoughts on uh, Wemby. I was able to watch two of his games. I actually chuckled on the play when he shut down Scotty Barnes, and then they asked Scotty Barnes about it afterwards. Because literally, Paul, it looked like an adult playing against a kid. And Scotty Barnes is a huge man, right? Like he's so big and long that like, he literally just was like, sorry. And he wasn't able to go anywhere. Like it was stunning and good for the Raptors. we'll get to the comeback in a second, but man, like I've never seen, you've never seen it. Like as Kevin Durant said, like you've never really seen a player like this before.
3: Yeah. I mean, when you talk about generational talents, this is, this is the new Terminator model. And, And I think that, Seven four with this kind of athleticism, these kind of instincts, and this kind of skill set at 19, you know, here's here's the thing: that he is the perfect player for this generation of players. This guy, this young man in the 90s, it would it would have been harder for him because the game was so much dirtier and so much more physical. But now, because of the way they've cleaned the game up and the way they've made sure defense is played a certain way uh a, a player like Wemby can step in now and do his and, and do what he does and take advantage of all those gifts so well but I, uh, yeah it's 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 unlike anything you've seen before because the guy is his 7-4 with the wingspan of 7-11 or something like that I mean that's 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 new territory that's uncharted territory with his agility
0: yeah it's just it's so unique to see a player like he's just so much bigger but Big guys never, and it's off, it's still a little odd to see big guys shooting threes because for decades, it was never even a consideration, right? Like it is exciting, especially yeah. if you're a big man where you're like, Hey, man, if I can shoot, then I don't have to just play, you know, in the basket and in the paint. I can actually move around. But you know what? For a young player, like it's not only his shooting, like his ability to pass the ball, Paul, because he's so much taller and he gets up, like guys can't really defend his passes. They can't, and with
3: his instincts, and I think that's the difference. Because when you look at a player of roughly the same size, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a, a pure post player, a great athlete, a great basketball player, with a real specific skill set, where Wemby doesn't have doesn't have those limitations anymore. Like he he literally can define exactly what he wants to do inside, outside back to the basket, facing up of the basket, shoot the three, put it on the deck, pull up. Like he really is the total package, and he just happens to be 7-4. So he, it really is limitless. If he can stay healthy, his potential is limitless. And what he could be as a, a, a dominant force in two, three, or four years is really, really uh, – I mean, you, you compare him to Holmgren, who's a real nice player for uh, – Uh, for Oklahoma City and is making a great contribution to that. But he's more of a traditional basketball player. Wemby is unlike anything we've ever seen before.
0: And uh, a really good story uh, when you think, of course, uh, because you started with the Stingers and uh, we'd seen him in the NBA a little bit with the Clippers, but it was more on 10-day contracts. Uh, He signs a two-way deal to Jamario Moon with the Clippers, man. Like, good for him. That's, uh, and, And obviously it's good for the CBL that shows, you know what, you get some pretty talented young players here.
3: Well, you sure do, and like you said, good for Xavier Moon because you could not find a like literally like you say this about a lot of people, but about Xavier Moon, it's the gospel truth. That is the nicest young man I think I've ever met in my life. He he would he would have come back to Edmonton and play last summer if there was any way possible that it made sense, but it just it, it just couldn't happen because of all the progress he's made with the Clippers, but. You know, to see a young guy like that who's come from where he's come from, who's persisted in the way he has, get that two-way deal. And I, I really think he'll end up on the Clipper roster before the season's over and just, and be playing primarily for the Clippers. I think he's that good, and I think he brings a skill that they're going to need as time goes on. Clippers is an interesting story with what's going on there right now with the arrival of Harden, but, but good for Xavier Moon
0: yeah i just think it's a it's a real cool story um it's really early on in the in the nba season uh paul but uh, uh do you have a few storylines that uh, you have been paying attention to that has stood out for you for the first few weeks
3: yeah i have um number number one let's talk about the raptors you had mentioned about the comeback win that was a really nice win over san antonio the other night and scotty barnes was fantastic the Raptors are not a finished product but there is some hope there. I think their starting five is is quite good. Uh we'll still see if they can figure out how to get the most out of Pascal Siakam in this new configuration. OG Ananobi early looks really really good especially defensively. But uh and Scotty Barnes uh, we're we're really starting to see the potential that the Raptors drafted and I really am excited to uh to see how Dennis Schroeder has come out of the gate for the Raptors. He's done a great job, 8.9 assists a game. He's the player that we hoped he would be, and the way Fred Van Fleet is starting in Houston looks like a really good signing and a really good, a really good switch at the point guard spot, I believe. Uh, I also think there's some hope on the bench with Otto Porter playing better, more like he's capable of. Uh, the young guy, Grady Dick, has got a lot of upside, I think, Gary Trent's going to have to be better. Chris Boucher seems to really be struggling right now. So I think roles changing is going to be hard on this team. But, I mean, Scotty Barnes has got to be your guy. And Dennis Schroeder, the play has to f- uh, go through him. And Pascal Siakam has to find his way in that lineup. So uh, that would that would be my, kind of my overview on the Raptors. The only thing I, I got a little bit of a kick out of was the new, the, the new coach. And I'm sorry, I... I I keep wanting to, to remember his name and I keep forgetting it when I come on with you. But when he came out and said, gee, we're just so lucky to have Scotty on our team, I go, man, you're, you're five or six games into the season. I'd really think we'd be really lucky to have Scotty Barnes after we have a first round win in the playoffs. I thought that was a little too lavish for, of, of praise for Scotty at this point, but it's good to see him doing what he's doing. Nuggets are fantastic. I think they're the best in the league. Uh, the East is interesting uh, right now with uh, Philadelphia and Boston both only having one loss. Embiid looks like he's ready to go this year again. Milwaukee, good, uh, but I think they're still finding their way. The Western Conference is interesting, though, with uh, with uh, uh, Phoenix looking really weak out of the gate. But they've had injuries, and it's a long season. So once they get Bradley Beal back and um, – they get all of their players playing together. I think they're going to be a lot better. Isn't Steph Curry wonderful at his age? Like, I believe he's got 15 more threes than anybody else in this early season already in the league. Uh, just finding a way to to keep being relevant. So, uh, but, but I think one thing early on, Denver is very, very good, even with Jamal Murray kind of in and out of the lineup. But Dallas is a fast start, too is interesting because if they find that chemistry between Doncic and Kyrie Irving, I think then uh, that might put a lot of us, myself included, uh, that might quiet us down and say that that combo will never
0: work. What about the Grizzlies? They won 51 games last year. They're like the Edmonton Oilers of the NBA. They've got one win (laughs) so far this year. Seriously, they're one in six. They won 51 (laughs) games last year. (laughs)
3: That yeah, that's uh, I know that's not on anybody's mind in Edmondson right now, <laughs> but I think uh, uh the Grizzlies are terrible right now mm-hmm. and I think what you're this may be going a bit too far with what I believe but when you have a cancerous player like John Morant as your guy okay and he finds ways with his antics to undermine disrupt and cause the kind of problems within that franchise, this is what you risk is players are going to say, you know what, I really don't want that guy. So if a deal comes up, they're going to go somewhere else or free agents aren't going to come to your franchise. So you're hanging your hat with a guy who has shown nothing but childish, dangerous irresponsibility so far and saying that's who we're building our franchise around. I I think so far it's it's an early warning and it's a long season again. But I don't even think when Jock ja comes back, you're going to see a team that's going to win 51 games again.
0: Oh, gosh, no. Not with the start they've had. Uh, they're going to have no. to wake up. Obviously not having him, I think, impacts their team. There's no question. But I didn't think they'd be that bad. They played without him at times last year and were much better. So it's uh, they're an interesting team for me to see. Paul, great stuff, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one. All right. Take care, Jason. Thanks. You bet. Uh, that is Paul, sir, from former pro uh, player and uh, coach. And, of course, uh, we'll have the, uh, the basketball show. On Sports 1440 coming up. Should be nice. Looking forward to that. Coming up uh, after 4 o'clock, we have another opportunity for you to uh, help your neighbor. Also, uh, Jason Strudwick. And we are going to talk to Struddy about how to play a two-on-two or a three-on-three. And we'll get into some of the decisions and and how that becomes a decision by some of the players. And last night, we got a few examples we could pick almost any game this year for the Orders. Really, you take away the, the Winnipeg game and the Calgary game. I think there's every other game where you can see massive, just non-NHL-like decisions by players that make you wonder why and why does it keep happening. So I'll start about that coming up in uh, 20 minutes' time. But first, we'll get to the uh, con man. And a sports 1440 update brought to you by Fountain Tire. It's a road-ready sales event is on right now. Select tires up to 225% off. Or sorry, $225, not percent, $225 off. Also, you get an extra 50 uh, bonus reduction if you choose any service between now and December 16th. Book your appointment at FountainTire.com.